This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and David Jones. Blue White Breakdown fans, I'm Bob Flounders, joined by Dave Jones. Dave, this is going to really pain you, but we're... We're gonna we're gonna have to talk a lot about Penn State men's basketball. I know it's not <laughs> something that's in your wheelhouse. You, you don't like basketball that much, but what uh, you you were just at the, the Illinois game. We're taping this lunchtime Thursday. You just you got back from State College a little while ago. You had the whole rec hall experience. Uh, I know you probably enjoyed it. You met a lot of people. Met up with a lot of people you uh, you've known over the years. But what a game! What a finish! What a story! And you, you, you had car trouble, so you, you really, really had a grueling twenty-four hours. I had the complete state college experience. Where should I start? First of all, for those Penn State football fans who are tuning in and say, "Why, why are they talking about basketball?" You know, there's shit. Well, James Franklin was at the game. That's something. Yeah, he had some pretty nice seats, didn't he? He always has nice seats behind the basket. Um. Yeah, it, it was the first time I'd been back in Recreation Building, which is its official name, since the blizzard of 96. I had not set foot in that place in 28 years, which was the last game there. They've had three other games before this, but they were always non-conference games. I was going to go. They played Princeton, I think, about 12 years ago. I was going to go to that, but I didn't go. Did you, did you drive up in a blizzard in 96 or did it blizzard while you were up there? No, it's it's legendary, man. They yeah, it it I we knew what was going to happen, and I took stuff along. I had just gone out to Indianapolis because Anna was working at the Indianapolis Star, and I just driven back, and I got in the in the house, and I turned on whatever the Weather Channel was back then, and heard about this giant blizzard about. This to is during your Edwards days, correct? Not your Downing yes, days. Yes. Yep. And I took some supplies and a lot of clothes with me in the suitcase and hopped in and busted ass up to State College. They're playing Dick Bennett's Wisconsin team. Penn State is undefeated. They are going to finish second in the Big Ten, which they've never done anything close to before or since. And it was the last game in Rec Hall. Uh, By the end of that thing, there was not by the end of the game, Dick Bennett's press conference was, I kid you not, like 45 seconds. He took like one question and said, if there's nothing else and no one wanted to talk about Wisconsin, they just got their brains beat in 79 to 50. He hadn't really gotten it going yet up there, which he did and then really laid the groundwork for Bo Ryan. But not yet. It's it's January of 96. And he said, if, if no one minds. Uh, I would. I am leaving this town. I am going to thumb if I have to. I am not staying here. And there was already nine inches of snow on the ground. They had they had an Alaskan bush pilot that flew the Wisconsin team in this turboprop thing. I had a couple of buddies, uh, Mike Lucas, and I think uh, um, um, Rob Schultz. I'm pretty sure who who wrote for the Wisconsin papers. And they they ran the rental car all the way to the State College air, Airport, and they were on the team plane. Um, and they basically just ran it into a snowbank somewhere in the vicinity of the rental car drop-off, but practically running, got their stuff, and ran to the plane because they didn't want to miss the plane. And they overheard 
Dick Bennett asking the pilot, can you really get out of here? Is this going to be safe? I'm responsible for these guys. And the guy was like, who was, who was the guy that played the uh, fisherman in, in, in Jaws? You know, he's like that. That's the way it was. Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw. Yeah, Robert Shaw. Here right. on the Blue White Breakouts. <laughs> he was like, I'll get it out. Just tell the guy to make one pass on the runway. <laughs> <laughs> I think he played the character Quint, too. Go ahead. Yes. He, he revved this thing and off they went into the black of, of the sky. And it was a little bumpy getting out of there. They got out. But a couple of guys, uh, I think Vic Fuerhart from another Wisconsin paper and uh, Dennis something or other from the state, the, the, the Milwaukee paper, did not get out. We were all stuck at the Nittany Line Inn for three days, 25 inches of snow in State College, 38 in Edders. Um, it was crazy. How many beers did you drink at that hotel on the Patriot News Dime, Dave? It was nice. Be honest. Yeah. Be honest. <laughs> Just That's a good bar. How, how big of an expensive report was that? It had to be $1,000. Uh, they were in the top 25 for the first time in like 27 years. That, uh, And I wrote about that. I remember that. And just hanging out because Bob Casey closed all the highways. I, I didn't have any choice. Um, and, and sat there and wrote for two more days until I could get out of there. And then the first game at the Jordan Center was, I think, four days, six days later. And I came back up and then 13 more inches of snow hit my house. So we had 51 inches of snow in Edders in four days. It was legendary. But that was the last time I was in Rec Hall. I didn't go to any of these games. You, have you been up there for wrestling or what? Uh, I think I covered – I actually covered, I think, a couple wrestling matches. But I think also – wasn't Rec Hall where – there were a couple games where the did the lady – did Reenie Portland's team play a couple games at Rec Hall or no? I, I seem to remember being there for a women's basketball. I don't know, but but they the, the men's team played a couple of bad non-con teams. And then I think it was Princeton uh, 12 years ago, Pat Chambers played them and they lost in overtime. Um, but no, they'd never played a Big Ten team. And that was the point of this. They're, they're playing a league game, an important game ostensibly in this place where in 93, Bob, in 94 – that place was wild because people were so into being in the Big Ten. It's great basketball. And the Atlantic Ten was good basketball, but this is the Big Ten, the preeminent basketball conference in the whole country. The Fab Five is coming in there. Um, uh, all these big-name schools, and it was a big deal, man. It was so much fun. The crowds were absolutely lit, and it was kind of that atmosphere after it got going. It wasn't totally full because Penn State's team hasn't been very good and they played a couple of awful games. But they hung in there and hung in there and played really hard. And it didn't look like, as we talked about before we got on, it didn't look like at any point they were going to win the game. And then Illinois gave them a couple entrees with some bad passes and stupid shots, as Illinois can do. So, so they they did win the game, and um, it ninety to eighty nine, a wild game, uh, and it was a real floor rush, a real storm the court. Not these prefab things where like kids are, are going out and, and doing this to each other. This was a spontaneous, like it was a it was a charging of wildebeest onto the court. It was crazy. Uh, and it was really, really cool. Yeah. Did James thing. Franklin storm the court or no? Was he a little restrained? He was gone by that time. He only <laughs> stayed for the first half. He had already checked out to go recruit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but you know they're not any good yet. That it's a patchwork team that Mike Rhodes has put together. But man, they play hard. And the interesting part is their leading scorer, Kanye Clary. Mike threw him off the team because he just didn't play well together with the rest of them. They had two point guards, and Ace Baldwin is just a better, more inclusive, pure point guard. Clary's kind of a scorer, kind of an Iverson type from the same area as Allen Iverson and Michael Vick. And finally, Mike's, Mike just had enough and said, it's probably best if we part ways right now. And and the funny thing is Brad Underwood from Illinois, who has now been beaten by Penn State four straight times in four different arenas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> think about that. He got booty balled last year. I remember he kept talking about it. Yeah, yeah. So he was beaten at Illinois. At 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 the Jordan Center, at the United Center, and now at Rec Hall, four straight games. And Illinois should not be losing to Penn State in any condition, but lost four straight times. And he was asked about Clary, you know, what they were going to adjust with Kanye Clary not being in the lineup, their leading score, you know, the 18-point-a-game score. And, and he came right on and said, Underwood said, they've won games without him. I think they're better without him. He came right out and said it. It was like almost endorsing uh, uh, Mike Rhodes. You don't want to. You don't want to piss on the kid or or his father or whatever decisions they made because kids are under pressure to make money now with NIL and they need to play. They need a situation that's right for them. And this was not the right situation for either Penn State or Kanye Clary. He is a, a point guard and he can't play point guard on this team. So it's not really his fault. He was a holdover from Micah Shrewsbury's team. So God bless him and wherever he goes. But Penn State's better without him. They're better with Ace Baldwin playing the point. Ace Baldwin had 12 assists last night. Um, played great. In what fact, a great everyone, what a great name for a basketball player or a bouncer. Ace Baldwin. Especially a point guard. Yeah. You know, the lead guard, hey, the ace. Uh, he played terrific with just a pest on defense. They're not a very good defensive team unless they're in their full court press. And that's it's an, a style of basketball that nobody in the Big Ten plays anymore. I mean, you have to go back really to Gary Williams at Ohio State or or Tom Davis at Iowa where anyone did that with that high hyper pace and just trying to turn you over. And Illinois turned the ball over 18 times. They haven't done anything close to that. So it was really bothered. The, the, the walls started closing in on them. The crowd got really crazy in the last couple, three minutes when they started to believe. Illinois was ahead by 11 with three and a half minutes to go. They were ahead still by 10 with two and a half minutes to go. They were ahead by seven with 50 seconds to go. And at that point, Ken Palm's analytics had them as a 99.1% chance to win the game with under a minute left. Yeah. Didn't they and miss they two front ends of one-and-ones at the line? Well, the, um, um, Coleman Hawkins, their big 6'10 stretch four, uh, bricked a couple off the front rim with uh, 18 seconds to go. And that gave them a chance. And then they came down. Baldwin tried to penetrate. They walled him off really well. So he slipped a pass back to Zach Hicks, Hicks the uh, Temple transfer, who almost banked in a three, but – Hawkins, who was a little bit frustrated from from bricking those two free throws, fouled him. So he got three free throws with four seconds left, and Zach Hicks drained all three of them to win the game by a point. I mean, Zach 
has not been great shooting the ball like he was at Temple. He's had a rough year, and he's starting to play better and better. And this was kind of a culmination of uh, a, a tough year where he's hung in there. And he plays; he's always played good defense. He did what he could, um, but but he's a pure shooter. He doesn't even shoot that many free throws. He's been shooting more later lately. But I think he went into the game with 24 attempts, 18 out of 24 all season. And he has to step up there with four seconds to go with three three throws down two. I mean, that's pressure free throw shooting. And each free throw, the crowd went up an octave, up an octave, and they made the last one. And you cannot believe they're ahead. And they're ahead. And uh, the last gasp uh, heave didn't go in. And they won a game that they just had. No business winning. It was it was a really awesome, fun experience. They've had a couple of moments like that this year, maybe not to this extent. But Dave, how would you say, as as I'm a basketball outsider, if you had to just um, describe or give your evaluate uh, the the combination of Mike Rhodes and all, but also I think Pat Flannery. I don't know if it's fair to ask about him. I don't know if he has any has had a, a major impact. But I know that there's a there's a there's a tight bond there. And how do you would you when you when you think about what they've been able to do um, against some pretty tough odds as the season's unfolded? Um, how, what would you say about the first year just watching these guys, mostly Rhodes, but what what they've been able to do and what do you think it means for the future? Well, Flannery is his mentor. He was his coach at Lebanon right. Valley College. Right. In fact, the when I missed the Buster Douglas Tyson fight. I was at a, a Lebanon Valley College game that that night, February 9th. In Stinkin' Anvil. In Stinkin' Anvil, PA. Yeah. And, and Rhodes was a freshman, but he was playing. And I, I have stuck that to him uh, a couple of times. And, and it, it, Pat's a mentor, but as an active advisor on this staff, I think that would be overstating it. I, I think Joe Crispin has had a great effect on this team. And, you know, frankly, it's it's a team a lot like his his mold. I mean, Joe played on a lot of teams that didn't play great defense, that but played risky defense and got a lot of steals. In fact, in their seminal moment, their upset of North Carolina, uh, that that team led the Big Ten in scoring and led the Big Ten in points allowed both. But they got 18 steals against North Carolina, which was one off the NCAA tournament record. Which is exactly what Penn State got last night. They they they, well, they they got 11, 12 steals, but 18 turnovers. And Illinois doesn't get turned over like that very often. Um, I think what Rhodes has done in getting this team to seven and nine in the league, this team, uh, it's a minor miracle because it's a patchwork amalgam of guys he could pick up in 53 days when he got the job, and almost all from the portal. And now Clary is gone. He was one of the three holdovers. Uh, Demetrius Lilly has uh, he hasn't played all that much. I mean, you're talking about basically Jameel Brown, who all of a sudden is playing a lot and playing impactful minutes, and made uh, the steal last night at the end of the game that that, that had everything to do with the win. Um, he's put all these parts together, and sometimes they just don't mesh. And he had to live through. Having two point guards, which is always one too many, and Clary's like a scorer and and kind of dominates the ball and stops the ball sometimes, and it's a mess. It's been a mess all year, 
but they're starting to play pretty good basketball in spots. They played, they were coming off two awful games against Nebraska and Michigan State, where they just did not play well at all. But maybe they're through this drama with Kanye Clary, and everyone played pretty damn well last night. I mean, they got a chance to maybe finish nine and eleven. In the, in the Big Ten, which is kind of an indictment of a bad Big Ten, but also a real endorsement of what Rhodes has done with this team. These aren't his guys. They're guys he could collect. And Ace Baldwin's his guy. Nick Kearns is his guy from VCU. But outside of that, um, these are not his guys. He's going to have to collect his type of player and put them together in the next couple of years, and then we'll see where they go. I got you. I got you. Hey, I got before we just pivot for a few minutes to Penn State football. Here's what I wanted to ask you. I know that you've been you follow and you really enjoy. Um, it's not a Penn State question, but I know you really, really enjoy Caitlin Clark. I think that who who's become just a national <clears throat> storyline, but this has been building for a while. Um, she's about to, I think she's about to pass. She stays healthy. One of my favorite players, Pistol Pete Maravich. <clears throat> Here's my question for you. Do you think number one? I think the uh, I think the final four for the women. I think it's in Ohio this year. I think it might be Cleveland. I'm not positive. I think I saw that online. If you get a chance, Davey, would you uh, would you go to a women's final four? Absolutely, I watch would, her. And and are you going to try and do that now that I'm putting you on the spot? But there are more good women's players now than there have ever been, and this has been a steady ascent of the number of women's players who can play with skills, with multiple ball handling skills. And that wasn't true 20 years ago. If you watch Caitlin Clark, she kind of is. The impact of Steph Curry on this game has been remarkable. I mean, she is the female Steph Curry. Have you ever watched Nebraska and the Japanese kid that Tom Hovass coached? No, but I knew that you wrote something about him. I saw that headline and I was trying. I had to, I didn't know what I knew that you I knew there was some kind of Penn State backstory. I read a little bit about it, but I didn't I didn't realize it until I started reading it. Tom Hovass is the Jap, Japan men's national coach. And he coached before the women's national team. Um, and he had opportunities to come back over here. I actually put him together with uh, Fran Fraschilla. Because after they they won a win, uh, the women won a silver medal out of nowhere in the Tokyo Olympics in 2021 that were delayed, um, and, and no one expected that. They actually hung with the American women till about halftime, and then got blown out. But they're very undersized, and they have to play a different kind of basketball. Povas coached Keisei Tomonaga when he got the the men's team job in Japan. And uh, in the Asia Cup in 2022 and World Cup after that, and he's going to coach him in the upcoming Olympics in Paris. Uh, And he told me some fascinating stories. But what I said, if you could describe him, how do you describe him? And he said, well, he's he's the Steph Curry of Japan. And everybody is emulating Steph Curry. And that's a great thing, because what is Caitlin Clark? She's she's an inclusive player. She she drops dimes this way, that way. I mean, some people in women's basketball, I have heard, do not like her kind of cheeky. Uh, they don't like the way she flops and, and, and they don't like the way she's taking all the spotlight because they know that women's basketball has a lot of really good players. But right now she is the star and it's good for everybody. 
And if you've noticed, there's there's people around women's basketball like Kim Mulkey and some of the coaches who are, who are kind of they seem they're carping about Caitlin Clark getting all this attention and a little catty. Well, deal with it. <laughs> deal with it. She's a phenomenon and she plays like no women, woman has ever played. And you know what? She's the most famous college athlete in the world right now. When has that ever been true about a women's basketball player? Never, never, not even close. There was always a men's player who was more well-known than a women's player. This is a phenomenon. This is a phenomenon not just for women's basketball, but women's sports. And you really, it's a progression from, you wouldn't say that the, that the gender equity laws of Title IX that started in, in 1972, because it really didn't begin there. It began more in earnest about 20 or 25 years after that, where women's sports became a focus of more money because fans started coming to women's games. It only happened really in the last 20 years. And the more interest is generated, the more girls started playing at a young age. And, and we've kind of seen a, 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 a gradual ascent of these skills. These, these women and, and girls at the high school level can do things now they wouldn't, you wouldn't have dreamed of seeing 20 or 30 years ago. And I used to joke about how the game was unwatchable back then. Well, you know what? Compared to men, it was. It's not anymore, man. And, and Caitlin Clark's going to take it to another level. You watch. And right now, a lot of women's games are more watchable than men's. It's just true. Uh, that LSU, that LSU Iowa game last year was must see TV. I watched it. It was terrific. I watched yeah, it. You watched it, right? Dave, I think it's your destiny. If, if she, I think you should, I think you need to cover one of her games and write it and see her in person. You haven't seen her in person, have you? Don't give that Pete Maravich thing any, it, it's ridiculous. It's these are two different records. And, and, and everyone's talking about this. It's just stupid. She she broke the women's record, and that's the record. It's got nothing to do with Pete Maravich. It's a different, a different game, a different age, and you know you can even you can even break down Pete Maravich. Well, he didn't have the three point line even. He think of all the more points he would have had. Yeah, he would have he would have had fifteen thousand points, I think. But he was force fed by his dad, Press Maravich, who who had him shooting at the detriment of the rest of the team. So there's that and. He never played against any black guys in the SEC. And people don't want to talk about that, but that is true. So if if he played Mont, it's such a ridiculous comparison. I just I just don't make it. it. She broke the women's record and that's good enough. Yeah. I'm just saying she scored a lot of points and that's uh yeah. there's yeah. not too many. She's about to be uh the all time leader in points. So good. With for her. the three point rule. Which yeah, people with the three point rule. This is the Blue-White Breakdown. All right, Dave, we're going to talk a little Penn State football. This is what I'm going to say to you. I think between now and, let's just say, hypothetically, the middle of April, I'm not going to say that for any specific reason, but we're going to probably talk on a couple of podcasts between now and then. And by the end, by the end of that time, I am going to ask you four of the Penn State football teams that just you have covered, not the history of Penn State football, I'm going to ask you for your Mount Rushmore of Penn State players. You can only pick four. Well, I thought you were going to say teams. 
Nope. Nope. Play. Can I pick four teams? Nope. Well, I was going to say what I was going to do is I was going to introduce it now, but I was going to talk about some Penn State teams that you have covered. But at, at the end, to build the suspense, you're going to give me your four Penn State players. All right, so I, won't you, I, won't, I won't give you the players now. No, we're just going to talk about teams. There's so many great players, but I think that by the time by the time this is over, you're going to feel comfortable giving me. We're, you're going to feel comfortable giving me four names. So let's just start <clears throat> with the early '90s. Obviously, the '94 team is what everyone uh, likes to talk about, but there were some good teams right around there. So when you think about the first several years on the Penn State beat <clears throat> and the teams and the players that stood out to you, or well, for whatever reason. Um, you know, where, where do you start with something like that? Well, the, the thing is, Kerry Collins was such a funny story because he was in the lineup. He was out of the lineup. He was in the lineup. He was out of the lineup. He got in the, uh, <laughs> the, vo- the volleyball match where he broke his finger. Yeah. And then he's out of the lineup. You know, he played quite a bit of football in 92 and, we were all over the place. It was a weird season because they weren't in the Big Ten yet and they were still playing an independent schedule. But the they Joe did this goofy thing where he arranged the bowl game before the season started. Did like you the know Buster Bowl? Yeah, you, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like and and it kind <laughs> of it kind of took the 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 mystery and suspense and fun out of the season. And I think it took some of the fun out of the season for the players too because that was probably his worst coaching job that was a pretty talented team the 91 team had finished third in the nation the 94 team finished second in the nation and many believe they should have been first but they never got the chance and yet this 92 team the 93 was a good team too um 93 team uh, beat up who was it tennessee at tennessee in the bowl game and a game and a game, a game where they were not expected to win. They, I think they were a touchdown underdog. They roughed up Johnny Majors and the Vols. Yes. Who was, who was that Tennessee quarterback? I can't think of his He's name. Shuler. He's Shuler. <laughs> they had Dale Carter, I think. No, he might have been I on think, the other Tennessee. I think Tennessee was a six-point favorite in that game. Yeah, Dale, I think Dale Carter was on the 91 or 92 team. I don't think he was One, on the 93 was a very interesting team. They also came back from 20 points down at Michigan State in a game that very few people remember now, but was a terrific game, 38-37 at Michigan State, a win there, where Kerry Collins kind of came of edge, and he, he led them back, and Kajana Carter's on that team. It was an interesting team, but their season had kind of been shot to hell uh, at the hands of the ultra back in Columbus in the 24 24- Harris. Damon Harris, the 24-6 loss in Columbus in a – a Halloween snow squall in mud. And it, 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 that was not indicative of how good that team was. I don't think Paterno did a very good coaching job with early in the season with that team. Uh, they, they also lost to Michigan in a, in a kind of nondescript game in, earlier in that season in State College. So their season was kind of a disappointment at that point. But you could see that team start to grow during the, the second half of that season with the kind of pressure was off of them. Collins, um, uh, Kyle Brady, um, uh, Bobby Ingram, 
Freddie Scott, all those guys were starting. Oh, and to and play. the offensive line that played in '94 was starting to really take control, right? Yes, Jeff Hardings, Marco Rivera, uh, great Goon Conlon, Goon Conlon, and um, Andre Johnson and Bucky Greeley. I mean, how many offensive lines can you name every every guy? And this is 30 years later, and I can still name every guy on that on that offensive line. Um, they were really good. And I don't think Penn State's had an offensive line to compare that since. They were mobile, they were quick, and they were really smart. And they were, you know, Penn State would run that counter tray, and they had to be in perfect sequence, man. It was like it was like a dance routine. It was, was kind of like choreographed dancing. Uh, that offensive line was really good. I'm glad you brought that up. because uh, Plus two things. Plus they had Brady, who was an offensive lineman, and they had two fullbacks who were essentially offensive linemen plowing the road. John Whitman and Brian Milnes. Uh, we're, we're kind of bleeding into the 94 team. No, but it's okay. Hey, and I just wanted to say, so I'm just going to – I'm going to take a leap of faith here. You haven't – you haven't not yet once mentioned John Saka. He will not be on your Mount Rushmore. That was the 93 season also. So that's why I wanted to talk about the 93 season because it's pretty interesting. There's a lot of sequences in that, in that season that where you're going, what is going on here? They were at Iowa and John Saka started the game and they ended up winning the game. This is their first road game in Big Ten play at Kinnick Stadium. It's not, it's not a, a, a very good Hayden Fry team at that point. They, they're kind of an off year. And they went in there and won 31 to nothing. You're thinking, terrific. You know, they'd beaten Minnesota in their first home game rather easily, a not very good Minnesota team either. But it, it was a real workmanlike, ugly effort offensively. And, and you wouldn't say, I think Terry Killens and uh, Tyoka Jackson were on that defense. Not a great what defense. A great name, Tyoka Jackson. Didn't somebody call him Toyota Jackson? Yeah, that would that would be uh, the other Paterno. <laughs> he said that on the air. Yeah. God bless him. What a what a what a great guy. Um, and and so not a great defense either. But yet they beat Iowa thirty-one nothing. And Kinnick, you'll take that. And yet in the third quarter of that game with Brent Musburger. Dick Vermeil is doing the color analyst. He's had enough. And, He's had enough. And he, he doesn't want to watch this gruel anymore. He can't, he can't take it. And he just blurts out, Brent, 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 Penn State's passing game sucks. He says this on the air on ABC. But I don't, I'm not hearing it, of course. We, we, I, don't, I don't remember what – I'm not even sure we had TVs in the Kinnick Stadium back then. And Jim Carlson from the desk – calls me on our dedicated phone to tell me this just happened. And he said, you can't believe this. He just said this on the air. So I, I, I don't remember if I wrote anything about it that day in the game story, in the game column, but I certainly wrote it. I certainly attacked that story the next day on Sunday when I got home from Iowa. And you were able to get him on the phone, which was big. I right? got, I got um, um, uh, my contact from, from ABC. Uh, and and she got him, and he wanted to talk, and he apologized. And I said, "No reason to apologize. Everything you said was true." And he said, "No, no, no. I feel really bad about it." And Dix Dix lives like ten miles away from me here, and I I talk to him now and again. I used to play basketball with his son all the time, 
and he's he couldn't be a nicer guy but he felt bad about it but he a little honesty got the best of him <laughs> so he john wasn't saka, wrong, dave dave he wasn't john, wrong john john saka quit either would quit the team or was thrown off i'm not sure which when that game uh, I think Kerry Collins finished the game and then he finished the season. Uh, so it had a big impact on not only that season, but certainly the next one. Dave, who, if there were, who are one or two players on the 94 team that you cover with Ronnie Christ? Who are one or two players on that team that get overlooked? Because there was so, so much star power on the offense, but. It could even have been maybe a defensive player, but are there one or two guys on that team that maybe under the radar guys that you really felt were good players and no one's taught, no one really, they've kind of gotten lost in time? I would say Bucky Greeley, the center. Uh, just, you know, centers have such responsibility. And I think it was that year I had been a quarterback in middle school and I loved, I loved my center, Don, Don Collisard. But he was, you know, he. You have to be smart when you're a center. You have to, you have to point out blocking assignments and figure out how to get guys in, in the the best hat on the hat, and and the, while the the quarterback's trying to get you in the best play, Bucky Greeley was really sharp. And I revisited all those guys uh, for a story about eight years ago when I just revisited that offensive line and how good they were. Twenty uh, fifth anniversary, I think, and. Again, all, talking to all those guys, they were just so bright and funny, and that's what people don't know that offensive linemen, particularly the, the 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 guard, center guard, those three guys, they have to be smart, and they always are smart and funny and fun to talk to. And uh, uh, Rivera, Hardings, and and Greeley were were that they were they were really and Rivera and Hardings had pretty long pro careers, didn't sure they? Sure, they did. I think one yeah. of them, if it, I, I think one of them might either be in the Hall of Fame or is do or is <clears throat> is close. Like the, the guy that played Jeff Harding's played it played for the Steelers, but what he was a really, really, really good player for a long time. But yeah, those guys offensive linemen are, are are really, you know, it's it's nice that they had all those skill guys, but you know, that drive at Illinois uh in ninety four when they were down against a really good Illinois defense, uh if you look if you look at that game, like those those guys were killing people. Uh, offensive line when they had to have right. Yeah. The fullbacks were too. And that was a, that was a very decorated Illinois defense. Hardy and uh, the pass rusher. Yeah, Kevin Hardy and the, the DE who I can't whose name yeah, I can't remember, but they were getting flattened in and during that drive. They were just getting and the fullbacks played great on that drive too. And they came in and out, in and out. And I believe Whitman scored the go ahead touchdown, which ended up as the winning touchdown. Um, that, yeah, it's a memorable, memorable game for all sorts of reasons. But yeah, if I, if I was going to say guys on that, that team that are overlooked, it's that line. They've never had a line like it since. And here we are 30 years later. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned the fullbacks, you know, Kyle Brady as the tight end, the wideouts. I mean, it was, it was, was there, is there any defensive player that you remember from that 94 team or were they just kind of, well, no, I, I would I would say I remembered for earlier than that Mark D'Onofrio, who was <laughs> a, just a wild man, future DC, yeah. <laughs> but he, I think we're talking '91 for him. Um, there, there were there were uh, Brian Miller. Um, there there were some really good uh, DBs. 
but but uh, I wouldn't say and until later on they had great defenders. You know, we, we, you get up to 05 and then you're talking about it. Well, and, and 99, we'll, we'll talk about that for another podcast. They, they just had two, four, three or four or five guys that were elite, elite players. But yeah, it was, uh, I did cheat Penn State fans. Simeon Rice was the defensive end. I, I couldn't remember it. I didn't get to it on my own. I did have to look it up. But those were two terrific players. Kevin Hardy was the linebacker. They had another linebacker. They were pretty good. Um, but that was a game where they got ahead and they got ahead quick and they were kind of gifted a 21 nothing lead before Penn State knew what was going on. And then it was just a long, slow slog to get back in in brutal conditions. It was like 38 degrees and spitting rain the whole game. So really surprising not- that late in the season champagne was miserable because it's such an enjoyable <laughs> it's an enjoyable experience usually at any time of year. So that that's a little confounding to me, Dave. 93 is also the only time I believe I've covered a Michigan State game in East Lansing where the sun was out. <laughs> another, another. I thought it was, like 18, it was like 18 degrees. So I don't know. Does that count? I'm not sure. It's like covering a game in the dark ages, man. Like you just don't know. You don't know what's coming around the corner. People around here have no idea how a Midwestern winter really is, especially around the lakes. It's one thing in Iowa or downstate, you know, Columbus isn't horrible. Indianapolis is horrible. But, but you get up around the lakes, and, and people don't realize, people, people hear about lake effect snow, but there's, always, there's also lake effect clouds where there isn't quite enough for snow, but it's just, it just bring a northwest wind brings the dreary overcast, the slate overcast, and it gets depressing. And that's why people in the in the Midwest uh, are miserable. It's They're why miserable. they drink about thirty beers a day and yeah. uh, eat a lot of wings because they need something to look for. Oh wait, that's my life. Sorry. That's- um, you're right though. The the mid the, the mid the mid country the mid Big Ten. Uh, I, let's put it this way, Dave. I think they're not going to play there a lot. But these Pac-12 schools like USC and UCLA, they are they are in for a. a, a Hopefully they don't have to come in in November, but if they do, God bless them. Of course. I mean, it doesn't matter. They come in in late October. Any place. Late September. <laughs> Michigan is surrounded by water. I mean, these Mittenlanders, they grow up in this thinking this is normal. It's not or- normal to, to be socked in in clouds like all damn winter for the extended winter for six months. These kids from the, the West Coast are going to come in there and think, where the hell are we? I don't know if I like this at all. And they'd much rather, I mean, you'd rather go to Corvallis than, 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 than <laughs> Lansing. Sorry. Where or can I go back to San Diego? Can I go yeah. back? It's like 65 <laughs> year, all year round. Dave, we've, uh, we've burned about 38 minutes here. I just want to put this on your radar. Just think about your, your, uh, your, your Mount Rushmore of Penn State players that you've covered at the end. Towards the end, maybe in April, we're going to get to it. But we're going to talk. We're at, at some point, we're going to revisit the 99 team and the teams around that, the 05 team. And well, we won't re- necessarily reference the 04, the 03 teams. Um, and the 16 team, I think, you know, that was a pretty interesting team. 17 was a, a team. Those are two, you know, these those are two college football playoff teams that didn't get in the playoffs. So we got a, lo- a lot of ground to cover, Dave. Especially I- 17, especially 17, which. 
the the lightning game. We're gonna have to get into the lightning. Oh, game. you love that! Three and a half hours of pure joy in the press box. In where else? In where else? But East Lansing or Lansing? Yeah, it was great. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Pen Live.